1996, a suspicious house fire destroyed the home of a Seattle, Washington policeman. In a bizarre twist, an ex-convict confessed to setting the fire, then mysteriously disappeared. When investigators looked carefully at the written confession, they discovered clues of a more serious crime than arson. They found evidence of murder. Sergeant Matt Bachmeyer was a 25-year veteran of the King County Sheriff's Department, a man well-liked and respected by his peers. This guy was a police hero. You know, he had been involved in a, you know, several different types of shootouts or, or real interesting type of events and uh, had survived them. On July 9, 1996, at 1.30 in the morning, a fire broke out in Sergeant Bachmeyer's suburban home. Bachmeyer was at a local bowling alley when the fire broke out. By the time the fire was extinguished, the home was almost completely destroyed. The origin of the fire appeared suspicious, and dogs specially trained to recognize flammable liquids or accelerants were sent to sniff through the rubble. The dogs identified five different areas where accelerants were used to set this fire. One was in the basement, a second in the dining room. There were two separate areas in the attic, and the fifth was in the garage. In arson terms, this is called a layering fire. On the outside wall of Sergeant Bachmeyer's garage were spray-painted messages critical of police. One said, Rios lives. Guadalupe Rios was a man Sergeant Bachmeyer had shot and killed eight years earlier in the line of duty. Bachmeyer told colleagues that he had received threats from Rios' friends and relatives, but until now, they had only been threats. Captain Dave Marin was Sergeant Bachmeyer's supervisor. We were concerned anytime a fellow officer's home is, is arson, that's a traumatic event for them. And I talked to him about what he might need as a way of help and support uh, and time off to recover from that. While the arson investigation continued, Sergeant Bachmeyer himself uncovered some important information about the fire. It happened when he was called to break up a neighborhood fight. Can anybody here say what happened? I One of the men in that fight was Brad Wren, who had a history of mental problems and had some prior brushes with the law. Two weeks ago, he was shot in the leg. And now tonight, he got in a fight with his roommate's brother. All right, let's get down to the police station. We take your statement there. Sergeant Bachmeyer asked Wren to come to the police station so that he could take his statement. According to Sergeant Bachmeyer, during questioning, Wren asked Bachmeyer if he was the cop whose home was destroyed by the recent fire. Yeah, why? When Bachmeyer said yes, Wren allegedly told Bachmeyer that he knew the identity of the arsonist. It's a drug dealer I met in the bar. Pepe Hernandez. Pepe Hernandez told Wren that a local cop had stolen some drugs and money from him during a recent drug bust. So what are you going to do? I know where he lives, and I want to go get my stuff back. You know, I'll give you 500 bucks if you come and help me. The cop Hernandez was talking about was none other than Sergeant Bachmeyer. So I said, okay. 
Then what happened? We broke in your house. Peppy tore the house up. We couldn't find the drugs or the money. So Peppy started stealing things. Paintings and, and statues. And I heard him say he was going to burn your house down. And then he, he just did it. Where is he now? If you think I'm going to help you find him, you're crazy. He'll kill me. Sergeant Bachmeyer transcribed Wren's entire statement, had Wren sign it, then released him from custody. But Bachmeyer had a dilemma. The confession implicated him in the theft of drugs and money. So he decided not to turn it over to his superiors. At least, not yet. Brad Wren, the man who allegedly confessed to taking part in the arson of Sergeant Matt Bachmeyer's home, had a history of mental problems. It all started when Brad Wren was in the Air Force. He was in a severe motorcycle accident and barely escaped with his life. He had massive brain injuries. They didn't know if he went in a coma. They didn't know what to tell us or anything till he come out of the coma. Wren eventually recovered, but he was never the same after the accident. His personality changed. He was more aggressive and for the first time in his life got into trouble with the law. Shortly after the accident, he was convicted of a sex-related offense and spent three months in prison. More recently, Wren was in a violent argument with his roommate, Emmett Marcel, who shot him in the leg, shattering his tibia. His roommate had a mental problem, too. And if he didn't take his medication, why, then he was just more or less wacky, you know. And uh, evidently he'd been off his medication for a while, and him and Brad got into it. They were doing some kind of siding or roofing or something for a friend. And Brad hit Emmett's finger with the hammer. And that's what Emmett said he shot him for. Unaware of Brad Wren's alleged confession, arson investigator Becky Gibbs was assigned to investigate the arson fire of Sergeant Bachmeyer's home. She saw evidence that was inconsistent with a fire set for revenge. And typically, if somebody's going to set a fire for revenge, they may go to some trouble to set a fire, but this particular way of setting a fire takes some time. The debris from the fire was analyzed using gas chromatography, which found traces of gasoline in the debris. There was also evidence that road flares were used to ignite the gasoline. These would be considered a time delay device. If you set the road flare on fire, the fire doesn't start right away, but once it reaches the point where it's touching the gas container, then the fire, the gas container would melt and the fire would start. Most fires set for revenge do not use time-delayed devices. The flares would have given Sergeant Bachmeyer enough time to drive to the bowling alley to establish his alibi before the gasoline containers exploded. 
Investigators were also suspicious because Bachmeyer's artwork, porcelain collection, and bowling trophies were found undamaged in his backyard shed after the fire. Sergeant Bachmeyer became the prime suspect. He adamantly denied any involvement. But when asked to take a lie detector test, he refused. Under increasing scrutiny, Sergeant Bachmeyer had no choice but to produce Brad Wren's alleged confession, even though it implicated Bachmeyer in stealing from a reputed drug dealer. When police tried to interview Brad Wren to corroborate his confession, they discovered he was missing. There wasn't any of his clothes, none of his shoes, nothing left in the house. I knew Brad was dead. I knew it. I don't know how I knew it. I knew my son was dead. We would have heard from him. He would have never went off and left his dogs with nobody taking care of him. Detective Denny Gula asked Matt Bachmeyer if he knew anything about Wren's disappearance, since Bachmeyer was the last known person to see Wren alive. He starts laughing. He goes, well... If you find him dead with my business card uh, nailed to his forehead, you'll know who to come talk to, and he kind of laughs it off kind of jokingly. And, you know, I wrote that down when he says it, because I'm going, that's kind of bizarre. Police could find no arrest record for anyone by the name of Pepe Hernandez, and police officials say Bachmeyer's handling of Brad Wren's interrogation was improper. It would be highly, highly unusual for a... a, a experienced police sergeant of 25 years to take a statement like that alone from a suspect. And then certainly to release him immediately afterwards would be uh, extremely, extremely rare. Although Brad Wren's family identified the signature on the bottom of the alleged confession as Brad's, forensic document examiners weren't entirely convinced. In Seattle, Washington, police were conducting two simultaneous investigations. One into the fire that destroyed police sergeant Matt Bachmeyer's home. The other, a search for the whereabouts of Brad Wren. They were connected since Brad Wren was last seen alive in the back seat of Sergeant Bachmeyer's patrol car. That was the last sighting we had, and uh, in police investigations, the last person seen with someone who's alive is certainly going to attract your interest. The four-and-a-half-page statement in which Brad Wren allegedly admitted to taking part in the arson of Sergeant Bachmeyer's home was written by Bachmeyer, then signed by Wren, which is standard procedure. Brad Wren had signed the first four pages of the confession, but for some unexplained reason did not sign the last page. In our department, that's not normal. That's not a normal procedure. We would write the whole statement, and the very last page would have that on it. The confession was subjected to a process known as video spectrography. To the naked eye, the ink in Wren's confession all looked the same. But the video spectrography told a different story. Under various infrared light sources, scientists could see that the confession was written with three different inks. All of Wren's signatures and his initials were written 
in a black ink with high luminescence. The entire first page and the top of the second used a gray black ink with medium luminescence. From then on, a third ink was used, a black ink that shows no reaction to the infrared light. And there were other discrepancies. Wren's occupation was listed as truck driver, which was incorrect, as was other vital information. James Wren's birth date was different. On the second page, it's listed as 1971. And then on the third and fourth page, it's 1961. And then the fifth page doesn't even have a birth date. In the confession, Bachmeyer incorrectly wrote the contraction for UR as Y-O-U-R. The same mistake found in the threatening message on Sergeant Bachmeyer's garage after the fire. Next, scientists checked Bachmeyer's patrol car and found something unusual. Very faint traces of blood. And initially they thought, well, it's a police car. It's not going to be unusual to have faint traces of blood in the back seat of a police car. They open up the seat and they find in the stitching several bloodstain patterns on the backside of the seat cover that had soaked through the stitching. Using a sample of blood from Brad Wren's parents, a reverse paternity DNA test was made. It proved conclusively that the blood from the back seat of the patrol car was that of Brad Wren. Bachmeyer said the blood was from Wren's bloody nose that occurred in the fight Bachmeyer was called to break up. Investigators decided to test this hypothesis to see if the size of the blood stain was consistent with the nosebleed. Forensic scientists used identical rear seats from other patrol cars to conduct their test. Using head sculptures with wigs and weights to simulate a human head, Investigators poured different amounts of blood onto the seat cushions. It took two quarts of blood to produce a stain the size found in Bachmeyer's patrol car. A loss of two quarts of blood would be life-threatening. Police also found Brad Wren's blood on a pair of Sergeant Bachmeyer's work shoes. Investigators now believed that Brad Wren died in the back seat of Sergeant Bachmeyer's patrol car. But where was Brad Wren's body? Seven months after Brad Wren's disappearance, hikers in a restricted area of Cougar Mountain Park outside of Seattle found some bones and what appeared to be a human skull. The bones had been scattered by animals. Fragments were found over a quarter mile away. Only 20% of the skeleton was recovered, but the size and shape of the cranium told forensic anthropologists that the victim was male and that the condition of the bones indicated they had been in the park less than a year. They also found a steel rod in the lower leg bone, a surgical repair identical to one performed on Brad Wren. And near some of the bones in the park, searchers found a red, white, and blue leg cast. Witnesses said... Brad Wren was wearing an identical leg cast when he left with Sergeant Bachmeyer in his patrol car. 
The marrow in one of the bones was tested for DNA, and the results confirmed what investigators already suspected. The bone was that of Brad Wren. First thing I did, start bawling. Cried my heart out. But I was glad in a lot of ways they found him. It was hell, not knowing where he was at. The only remaining question for investigators was the motive. The story is so convoluted and so sort of pathetically obvious in its fabrication that it almost defies belief. I mean, I think it would be rejected as a plot for a novel or a script for a movie because it just seems so absurd and outlandish and unnecessarily sort of complex and contradictory. Matt Bachmeyer was an avid bowler, and his dream was to compete on the professional bowler's tour. Prosecutors believe Bachmeyer set fire to his own home using the time delay device, giving him time to get to the bowling alley to establish his alibi. Bachmeyer may have planned to use the insurance money from the fire to finance his entry onto the pro bowler's tour. But removing his bowling trophies and artwork from the home before the fire was a classic arson mistake. When Bachmeyer learned he was a suspect in the arson, he looked for a scapegoat. Brad Wren was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there is no evidence he ever made it to police headquarters for questioning. Somewhere along the way, Bachmeyer stopped his car and forced or coerced Wren into signing some blank police reports. Then, Bachmeyer murdered him. Wren's blood seeped into the rear seat cushions as Bachmeyer made the 30-minute drive to Cougar Mountain Park to dump the body. Sometime later, Bachmeyer composed the phony confession, which forensic technology revealed as bogus. I'd never been so mad at somebody in my whole life. There was a time or two there that I just wanted to get a hold of him so bad. I think I could have ripped him limb by limb. I don't think he's much of a man. I, I think the man must have a mental problem or something. I don't know. I can't feature a police officer... 25 years or so doing something like this without having some kind of a problem. Sergeant Matt Bachmeyer was convicted of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Seattle prosecutors say it was one of the most bizarre murder cases they had ever encountered. We rarely see it happen with a law enforcement officer with 25 years of service. But uh, most murders are fundamentally inexplicable, unreasonable, irrational events. I think um, stupid would apply, but I think the thing that comes to mind is just really underestimated the people that worked around him. One of our members was uh, talking not too long ago about someone writing a book about this and they said uh, 
I don't think anybody will write a book about this because when you tell the story, it's not believable. Um, but it is interesting. And so I think this still for, for quite some time to come will we'll be with our department, unfortunately.